When a nation has light and they suppress that light or an individual, then God takes away the light of that revelation. And it results not in a heart that is enlightened, but in a heart that is darkened, a foolish heart. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in a series of special messages that were delivered by Dr. Brogy over the last two years, and today is part three of his sermon, Have We Angered God? Pastor Carl is preaching from the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, and so far we have looked at the eternal wrath of God and the eschatological wrath of God before we enter into eternity. Please join us in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 18, as we continue. Now, if you've studied the Old Testament, you know that one of the symbols that God uses to describe Israel is that of a vine. It's used by Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea of the people of Israel. And in verse 8, Asaph is reminding the readers, by the sovereign hand of God Almighty, he took the vine Israel out of the land of Egypt. And he brought him into the promised land. You drove out the nations and planted it. He drove out all of those idolatrous, child-sacrificing, baby-killing nations. He took them off the land, and he put Israel in the land. You drove out the nations and planted it. And so Asaph has just summarized five books of the Bible from Exodus through the book of Joshua in one verse. He's telling us that Israel was divinely planted by God. Now look at verses 9 through 11. You cleared the ground before it, and it took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shadow, and the cedars of God with its bows. And it was sending out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the Red Sea. Asaph is using metaphorical language to describe the nation of Israel. Like a divine planner, God put them in a land flowing with milk and honey. He cleared the ground from the wicked Canaanites, and he planted them as a vine, and it took deep roots, and like a grapevine that spread, it prospered. He divinely prospered the nation, having planted them. And I might add in Psalm 33 and verse 12, what God did for Israel, he'll do for any nation that will honor him. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. God will bless any nation that will bless him. Blessed is the nation. That's what he says. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Likewise, Solomon can write in the book of Proverbs, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. I believe this nation was planted by God. Yes, it's always had its flaws because we're sinners. But it was a nation that sought to take the gospel to the world. And so God blessed us. Why? Because God loves the gospel of his son. Because God wants to forgive sinners. And righteousness characterized this nation. But then he adds, sin is a disgrace to any people. Things have changed in America. The moral climate is quickly changing. Just as it was changing in Asaph's day. Asaph lived far after the planning. During the time of the judges, it says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Twice over, God says that in Judges. It was a dark time in Israel's history. It took place after he divinely planted them in the promised land. Israel, like America, became self-sufficient. They forgot God. They didn't really need God. 
And so God began to weather them from without and from within. Look at verse 12 of this psalm. Asaph, the psalmist asks, why have you broken down its hedges so that all who pass by pick its fruit? Circle that word you. Why have you, it's emphatic in Hebrew, why have you, O God, broken down the hedges? I don't know what your doctrine of hedges is like. In the book of Job, Satan says, oh, Job only follows you because you blessed him. Break down his hedge and we'll see how much he really loves you. Well, God put a hedge around Israel. He protected her so that no one could break through the hedge. But now God is saying he broke down the hedge. He took down the protective walls so that they could be plundered and her fruit could be picked. He's talking about external dangers because of their rebellion. They became weakened as a nation. They were not strong enough to defend themselves. And we, have a na- we as Americans and more as a world have basically said, God, get lost. And God is taking his protective shield off of this country. You know, it seemed when 9-11 happened that maybe we'd get right, and for about two months the churches were filled. And then we went right back into our own filth and slop. Israel was weakened from without, but Israel was also weakened from within because they lived independently of God. Not only were they weakened on the outside, they were weakened on the inside. Look at verse 13. A boar from the forest eats it, that is the vine away, and whatever moves in the field feeds on it. A boar, a wild hog, eats the vine. It symbolizes Israel being rooted up. And we have internal enemies today. We are being eaten away economically, morally, and physically as a nation. Now let me share a New Testament example. Go to the book of Romans in the New Testament. Go to Romans chapter one. I told you this would be our launching pad verse, and so let me uh, look at that. Romans chapter one. Notice uh, what he says beginning now in verse uh, 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Uh, What we find in Romans 1 is a picture of what God can do to an individual or a city or a nation or even a world when we ignore who he is as God. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Now notice, it's not a future tense. He doesn't say the wrath of God will be revealed. Circle the word is, it's a present tense. He's describing what is currently going on. So let's try to understand this wrath that is being revealed from heaven today right now. It's not some lightning bolt, but it's a dimension of God's wrath that works quietly, almost invisibly among those people who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And it is operating, and it has been for several decades, in America. Look at verse 19. How do people suppress this truth? Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. Paul, how has God made it evident to them? Because or for, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Ever since the creation of the world, God's attributes, power, and nature are clearly seen through what he has made. Just as an artist reveals what he is like, so God's creation is an expression of what he is like. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, not knew God like we know God in John 17, this is eternal life, that they might know you. 
but they knew God and that they knew of his existence. And that's why biblically, there are no such things as an atheist. So if you want to share your testimony, you said, I'll claim to be an atheist. Okay, but don't say you were an atheist because you were never an atheist. You're denying what God plainly says. So he's describing, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Instead, Paul tells us, but they became futile, futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. When a nation has light and they suppress that light or an individual, then God takes away the light of that revelation. And it results not in a heart that is enlightened, but in a heart that is darkened, a foolish heart. That's what Jesus warned of Israel in John chapter 12. He said, for a little while longer, the light is among you. He's speaking of himself. Walk while you may, while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness and does not know where he goes. Listen, it's dangerous for a person or for a nation or for a world to be exposed to the revelation of God in creation or in conscience and then to suppress that. Look at verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You see, that's the delusion of it all. You think you're smart, but God says you're a fool. They became fools. Verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. They're worshiping the creation. And about a third of the world still has this form of idolatry. And we worship the creation here in America. We call it the green movement. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. This was the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. We told God, we don't want you. We don't want to acknowledge you. No more Bible and prayer reading in our schools, and certainly no Ten Commandments. And the very aspect that shouts of God's existence, we began to deny through the theory of evolution, and God began to unleash his wrath of abandonment. Now, if you follow this passage, we'll help you to understand what is happening in America today, and not just in America, but around the world. When God abandons a nation, when God lets a nation or a world go, it comes in three sequential steps. Notice God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so their bodies would be dishonored among them. And that's precisely what came. We said no to God, and heterosexual immorality and sensuality began to sweep our nation. So first, the lusts of the flesh dominate the heart. That leads to impurity. And the society becomes pornographic. And just think about how the movies and the television programs began to radically change in the 80s and the 90s. And then the body follows the heart with widespread sexual immorality. And so the internet is filled with millions and millions of pornographic sites to satisfy the insatiable lusts of this world. And this, of course, results in a smashing of God's restraining grace. Listen, God holds sin back. He restrains sin, but he begins to loosen his hand on a nation and a world, and the ultimate expression of God not restraining sin will happen in those final seven years. And so what we are seeing is horrific. The abuse of children, illicit sex traffic, pedophilia, broken marriages. Why? Because we don't desire God. We say we're enlightened. 
And God says we're fools. Verse 26, for this reason. For what reason? For the reason he just gave in verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Don't miss the connection. When God abandons them for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. The Greek New Testament literally reads, passions of dishonor. You see, some Christians have the idea that if we're not going to get right, that God is going to judge us. My friend, he is judging us. The wrath of God is being revealed, Paul is saying. And you see it in heterosexual and homosexual illicit sex. God is taking his hand off the nation. And this is all part of his judgment. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. That's lesbianism. And it's interesting that the Spirit of God mentions that first because women are typically the last to go with this kind of decay because God put within them a mothering instinct, a protecting instinct because God cares and loves so deeply children. But when the wrath of abandonment is enforced, even the women give themselves to degrading passions. And in the same way, also the men abandon the natural function of the women and burn in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. That's male homosexuality. Our Supreme Court has officially sanctioned it. And we've gone from 40% approval of homosexual lifestyle in 2010 to 2020, the most recent survey, 70% approval. And when a society rejoices in adultery, and lesbianism, and homosexuality, and transgenderism, my friend, they are deeply sinking into the wrath of God. The third step, verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved, an adokimos, a depraved mind, to do those things which are not tolerable. The word depraved, some of your translations say reprobate, some say useless. The Russian Bible paraphrases it, an upside-down mind. It's a wordplay in the Greek New Testament. They reprobated the knowledge of God, therefore God gave them over to a reprobate mind. They cast out the knowledge of God, and so God gave them over to a cast-out mind. And the word that's just translated here, depraved, was used in the first century of a, a metal that you would test. And if the metal had so many impurities and it didn't, passed the test, then it was considered worthless and useless. And God considers a mind that suppresses the truth as a worthless mind. You say, no God, no God, no God. God eventually gives you your wish. So first the heart is rotten, then the body follows, and then the mind goes. The reasoning is so corrupted, it's crippled, and people can't think straight. You call good evil and you call evil good. What I want you to see here in stage three is that as the conscience begins no longer to function, the path that follows is absolutely horrendous. Look at verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. They come up with new forms of evil disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And this is just a partial list. It's like someone opened up a sewer pipe and it's pouring out all across our nation. 
And although they know the ordinance of God, how do they know it? It's written into their hearts. Look, if you don't find forgiveness, you become an evangelist for sin. The person who sells abortion is the person typically who's had one. And if they don't want to receive the forgiveness of God, they become an evangelist. Although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, not only do they do the same, they give hearty approval to those who practice them. They know it's wrong. They know the consequences that it's worthy of judgment. But nonetheless, they give hearty approval. Welcome to a brave new world without God. So the question, have we angered God? Yes, we have. But that brings me to one third issue quickly. Beyond what we've studied concerning God's wrath and its various expressions, let's think about understanding the current display of God's wrath. Let's ask some helpful questions as we conclude. First, is this virus a sign of Christ's return? Well, yes and no. We've clearly identified that it cannot be part of God's eschatological wrath. It can't be one of the pestilences that Jesus mentions on the Sermon on the Mount because the birth pangs, whether you're pre-trib or post-trib, will not happen until that one world leader comes on the scene. So these are not the birth pangs that Christ spoke of. Those events will happen in the last seven years. But for the world to witness birth pangs, there must be a pregnancy. And I think our culture more and more is saying, listen, we're, this pregnancy, it may be full term. And the water is getting ready to break. So in that sense, as you see God setting the stage for the second coming, because the rapture happens first, you know the rapture is that much closer. When you see the Christmas decorations go up in Walmart in October, you know that Thanksgiving is near. Why? Because Thanksgiving precedes Christmas. God is setting the stage for the return of his son. Third, or second, ask this question, is this virus different from other pestilences in history? Take, for instance, the Spanish flu of 1918. Uh, back then, the population was 1.8 billion people on the earth, and somewhere between 50 and 100 million people died. It's all over the map. We know at least 50 million people died. Maybe as many as 100 million people died. And I suppose that that could have simply been a consequence of living in a fallen world. Remember, disease and death came as a result of the fall. Now, there was a movement, and this is why I would put this pandemic virus in a different category. There was a movement that started almost 200 years ago. Next year, it would be 200 years. In 1881, it's called the Zionist movement. And these were Jewish people who wanted to reclaim the land of Israel. And by the way, they have reclaimed it. And this is a fulfillment of prophecy. In Ezekiel 36, 24, God promises, for I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Christians who preached that 100 years ago were laughed out of their pulpits. But they said God said it was gonna happen. And in Ezekiel 38, 8, God predicts that this will happen in the latter years. That's a time marker in scripture before the Messiah returns. And so God has gathered the Jewish people from over a hundred nations of the world, and he has planted them back in the land of Israel. Add to that, with every month, with every year that goes by, it appears that we're living more and more in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And the Lord tells us in Luke 17 that his coming will be an entire frame that will be characterized by the days of Noah and the days of Lot. So you've got Israel in the land. You didn't have that in 1918. 
You have the days of Noah and the days of Lot. It's like God is setting the stage. And so in our nation, there's more and more violence and immorality and drunkenness and homosexuality, so much so that we entertain ourselves on it at night. That's what these TV programs are all about, about the very things that God destroyed the world for. Third, we must ask, is this virus a warning from God? There's no question it's a warning from God. How do I know? Because Jesus drew a conclusion when disaster comes in Luke 13 that it should be a warning to us. Twice over after he mentioned Pilate who killed innocent Jewish people, and then when he mentioned the Tower of Siloam that a disaster of source, it fell over and it killed 18 people, he said, it's a reminder that you're going to die, all of us. And so he said, I tell you, unless you repent, you likewise will perish. His point is, we're all sinners, we're all gonna die, and so we all need to be ready. Now remember, God portrays death as an enemy. It was never part of his original plan. It came into the world through sin. And remember, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And the Bible says that God desires none to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so God will often bring warnings. For 120 years, Noah built an ark. And in the New Testament, he is called a preacher of righteousness. God used that ark as a warning, as a reminder that he was going to bring judgment. And this pandemic should be a reminder to everyone that judgment is coming maybe sooner than we realize. I mean the eschatological judgment and then the eternal judgment. Then we must ask, is this virus a sign that God has abandoned us in his anger? Is it a sign that God has abandoned us in his anger? Well, the answer to that question, it all depends on who us is. While God may abandon a nation, while God may abandon a world, God will never, ever, ever abandon his own people. And the Bible reminds us as we approach the end of the age, true Christians will become more and more a minority. You'll be hated on behalf of all men. And the very thing on which this great nation was built is quickly slipping away. And there's a growing unrighteousness across our land and across our world and things that we once called wrong, we now call rights. And what's so sad is so many young pastors are afraid to stand up to their generation. Because when you meet people, especially 30 and below, they like to call themselves and consider themselves spiritual. And when you ask them about being born again, they would say they're not and they don't wanna be. Paul said to Timothy, realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Then he said in that list, people will hold to a form of godliness. Although they've denied its power, avoid such men as these. Look, I pray for revival, and God may bring revival, but there's coming a generation that will see zero revival. God won't bring a revival in the very end. He'll just bring his son. Now, that doesn't discourage me from preaching the gospel, number one, because I'm commanded to do it. Number two, God has always had his remnant. And there are always people who are open to the gospel. God has said, go and tell. And there'll always be people who will respond if you go sharing the love and grace and wrath of God in a spirit-filled life. But understand, it's gonna get more and more lonely to name the name of Christ. 
but God will never abandon you. Lord, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now listen, if you've never met Jesus Christ, if you don't have the assurance that if this were your last day on, he- on earth, that you would go to heaven, you need to be ready. This virus should be a reminder to you, based on what Jesus said in Luke 13, that we're all going to die and we all need to be ready. And there's only one way for God to be pleased with you, and that is for you to receive the one who in your place took all of your wrath. And if you will admit that your sin is worthy of wrath, that it needs forgiveness and change, and call upon Jesus in faith in an instant of time, he'll forgive all your sin, past, present, and future. He'll write your name in the Lamb's book of life. And when Jesus comes, he will take you to heaven. Now, Holy Father, we thank you for your word, a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Thank you that as believers, while we do not know everything that is happening in the world, there is so much that you have told us about that we are to be alert to. I pray today, Father, for someone listening to me who's really not certain that heaven is their home. They'd like to go. They think they might go because in the back of their mind, they're not sure they're good enough. And may you convince them that they are not and never can be. And so you said we're saved by grace through faith, not by good works so that no one can brag. You said the gift of God is eternal life. Help them to see that salvation is not earned. It's a gift humbly paid for through a substitute, Jesus, who left the glory and splendor of heaven and humbled himself by becoming a man. But we thank you because he died in our place and you raised him from the dead that you have exalted him in heaven and given the name that is above every name, that someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. But help someone today before it is forever too late. You warned us that while we have the light, respond to the light, lest the darkness overtake us. There are some watching who have an open heart today, and that open heart today that you brought about by the stirring of your spirit could be closed tomorrow. You said you'll not always strive with men. Help them to understand that Christ Jesus receives sinful men, that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. Would you there take God at his word that if you'll call in the name of Jesus, he will save you? Say, Lord Jesus, save me. Save me a sinner. Forgive me and change me. And I'll spend out of gratitude the rest of my life living for you. And Father, help those of us who know you not to be unraveled by the events of these days. Lord Jesus, you said ultimately these things must take place. But help us as your people to walk with a sense of confidence that you are a sovereign God ruling over the nations of this world. And help us even this week to go with a heart of compassion and love. If these things that we are reading of this morning are an expression of the wrath that is being revealed. Father, we know they're just a foretaste of the eternal wrath to come. May that put compassion in our hearts for those who have never met you. Help us this week to share the gospel. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. As Pastor Carl reminds us, even though there is growing unrighteousness across our world, God will never abandon his people. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program HAG-1. 
1-800-242-0020. Maybe you have a question you would like to ask Pastor Brogy personally. You can do that on Tuesdays between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. You can listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.